Hello, and welcome to the So You Want to Be a Marine Biologist podcast, where we learn about the ocean, share sea stories, and explore ocean careers. I'm your host, Kara Musia. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey, one more thing. Do you want to dive more into the ocean and marine biology? Need a little guidance on ocean conservation? Head on over to marinebio.life backslash resources. We've got book recommendations, job posting pages, conference suggestions, and ocean-friendly products. All recommendations have been personally vetted by me, and I will continue to add to the collection as I come across cool things to share. Head on over to marinebio.life backslash resources to learn more. See you over there. Howdy, mermaids, pirates, ocean lovers, and land lovers. Welcome to today's show. We're chatting with Jessica Jean Moses and Justin Dalaba from Be the Sea Lucian. Both Justin and Jessica grew up in landlocked areas in the U.S., but had ocean experiences at young ages that helped shape their lives. After traveling, both Justin and Jessica met in sunny South Florida, where they bonded over their mutual love for the ocean and desire to bring ocean stories to life. In today's episode, we're learning just how Be the Solution formed, hear some highly illustrative sea stories, and learn how you can help our oceans every day. Here's Jessica and Justin. Justin and Jessica, welcome to the So You Want to Be a Marine Biologist podcast. I am so excited to have you on. We're very excited to be on. You guys are the second couple I've had on the show, which is really fun because you there's just so much information to get from each person and then we get to consolidate it down into one episode. From each of you, how did you know you wanted to study marine science or do ocean conservation? Yeah, so I guess uh, I can start with that. So I actually grew up in upstate New York, relatively far from the ocean. Um, really, my closest connection to the ocean was pages of books and photo pages for magazines. Um, and apart from that, just watching television idols on TV like Jeff Corwin and uh, Jonathan Bird's Blue World, those things really kind of ignited an energy and enthusiasm for the ocean. But really my parents are the ones, uh, my family really encouraged me to um, have this passion for nature. And at a, a relatively young age, I was, I was really fortunate to have my first underwater experience when I was just four years old, I was on uh, a sailboat called the Flying Cloud in the Bahamas, and I got to put on a mask for the first time and stick my head below the surface and see the crystal clear turquoise waters. That really was the starting point for me. And over time through education and exploration, I really learned that marine conservation was what I wanted to do. And um, so I went on to pursue my degree in conservation biology. I studied at the, um, a small private college up in upstate New York called St. Lawrence University. Again, still pretty far away from the ocean. I, I never really had that direct connection to it, but I knew that I wanted to do something with wildlife and something with conservation. So while studying there, I was given some really unique opportunities to um, connect with the outdoors, and eventually I was able to uh, go on a study abroad program to the University of Otago in New Zealand. And that's really where um, I was kind of reminded of these, these experiences I had as a young kid, being underwater, experiencing the ocean, and um, 
I took a marine uh, invertebrates course, and that's where I had my first exposure to things like coral bleaching and what that's doing for the ocean. And so then I started to kind of connect these things of it's a beautiful world that we have outside of this dry land that we live on, but it's also a changing one. It's a changed world. And so I gained these conservation values through experiences like that um, and became scuba certified while I was in college in undergraduate. So actually it's kind of funny um, being down in Florida now, remembering my first experiences breathing underwater Mm-hmm. Um, I got scuba certified in the icy cold waters of the St. Lawrence River and actually came out in the middle of a snowstorm. Oh my so gosh. <laughs> it's kind of a different experience <laughs> now living so close to this tropical water. Um, but those are the sorts of things that helped me develop my, uh, my interest and values for marine conservation. And after college, I went on to work through the Oregon Sea Grant. Um, and do a study on the coastal marine reserves that they have out there. So I got some real hands-on experience working with researchers and conservationists, um, better understanding how management works from a coastal perspective. From there, I went on to uh, work for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service for a term position, and I was um, doing outreach and communications, and so I kind of gained this, this new um skill set of communicating these sorts of issues that i learned about and i cared about to others and helping instill some value in others um, for natural resources and things like that um so i've really along the way i've i've gained a, a variety of experiences but one thing i actually forgot to mention this is the biggest part is that along the way uh my camera has been the vessel for translating these experiences and communicating these experiences to others and connecting people with not only the outdoors, but the ocean. I've always loved photography and storytelling. And so that's um, actually one of the ways that I was able to connect with Jessica and um, help her in starting Be The Solution is um, we love to tell the stories of other researchers and conservationists that I've had the opportunity to work alongside and get to know and share their stories and and why conservation is so important. Um, Yeah. That's awesome. You have done so much. And I I looked up where St. Lawrence is and it's like by Canada. Like that's really cold water. (laughs) That's pretty much how I describe it to anyone from Florida or that lives in Florida is that I studied basically in Canada. But you traveled, I mean, you traveled all over the world. You went to New Zealand and then to Oregon, the complete opposite side of the country. And so you really have, I feel like a really well-rounded experience on different ocean environments and then Florida. Yeah, exactly. It's kind (laughs) of Probably the warmest place you've ever been living, right? (laughs) Yeah, and that was quite the adjustment in itself. So Jessica, what got you interested in marine science or marine conservation? Well, uh, my story is very different. It's, it's uh, I, w- I would say not quite as streamlined, a little discombobulated. Um, so I actually grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, so also pretty darn landlocked. Um, so my, I guess my first experience with the ocean or ocean animals, um, 
anything related to that, my cousin was actually going to an overnight camp at the California uh, SeaWorld location. It was like a week-long adventure camp, um, and he invited me to go with. So I, I ended up going on that trip, and I think that's really where my um, interest in the ocean really started. Um, I went there, totally fell in love with all of the different animals, the idea. Um, I'd always loved animals, but that was my first experience with ocean animals. I remember, uh, so my birthday's in the winter, and that was a summer camp. I immediately, like, when my mom asked me what I wanted to do for my birthday, I wanted to go to the local aquarium and uh, the Shedd Aquarium up in um, up in Chicago, mm-hmm. and that was, like, the best day. <laughs> I got to bring a few of my friends along, um, and I really enjoyed that. So moving forward, um, in high school, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I knew I had this really deep interest for marine biology. But I'd also always had an interest in education. Um, My first job was actually as a teacher's assistant at a Montessori school. Um, So I was kind of, I guess, stuck between these two. Well, what am I going to major in? And we went on like a family vacation to Florida. And I remember we went, I don't even remember what, what it was called, but we went to this one place that had like a snorkeling pool and I probably spent like two hours in this tiny little snorkeling pool and as silly as it sounds like it just kind of reignited that love and passion um, and kind of gave me that drive to um, to make that choice and and choose marine biology as my major. Um, I could always go back to education or I could always combine the two but I only had one opportunity to major in marine biology so So I took that chance. Um, Before I actually went to university um, to study marine biology, I actually, I spent a little bit of time researching. um, And there's this organization called uh, Gap Force. And they have like a specific program that they call Green Force that's geared toward uh, conservation. So I ended up going to the Bahamas for, for an entire month. Um, I literally lived on a wooden house on the beach. Like there's no electricity. We had to flush a toilet with like a, with like seawater. <laughs> we would literally go like, go to the ocean with this big giant bucket, you know, bring it back to the bathroom and you would dump it in the back of the tank. Um, so I spent a month there. Um, so we learned about, um, a lot of fish identifications, um, benthic, benthic, like invertebrate identifications. um, And we were able to perform different uh, surveys, um, just general surveys to see what type of uh, um, organisms are around and what the substrate was like. Uh, And that's where I learned how to scuba dive, really different than Justin's. Um, Yeah, you you got to dive in pristine, beautiful conditions in the Bahamas. (laughs) I had no idea how gorgeous it was. Yeah, then I came back to Florida. I went I went diving in like the winter time and it was so cold and realized that this like the visibility just wasn't as good and mm-hmm. I was very privileged <laughs> to, yeah. to get my place. was a very special place. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh my gosh. I So could like, you could you describe a little bit more about Gap Force? Is it the concept behind it kind of like a gap year and then you took more of a educational way and it sounds like you know there's quite a few programs out there that you can volunteer your time and help towards some conservation goal 
Is it yeah. that and part um, like studies? Did you get cre college credit for it? Um, I believe I could have, but I hadn't started university yet. Um, and I did it over a summer, like a summer term. Um, you had the opportunity to go there from, I think, three weeks to like, yeah, I think you could stay up until like four months. Mm -hmm. uh, so it just depended on how many weeks you had signed up for. But I was actually the only American there. So Gap Force does run a lot of trips. Um, some of them are nature related. Some of them are more related to um, volunteering with um, people. Some of them are more with um, animals. So they have all different types of programs, mm -hmm. um, but they do have several that are conservation uh, geared. So the one for Marine ended up being in the Bahamas, which wasn't, wasn't too far from where I was at. Um, but yeah, so the majority of the other people that were there, a lot of them were taking a gap year before they started the university. Um, some people there actually had already finished university and that was kind of their follow-up. Like I have a friend, um, my friend Hannah. So I met her there and she ended up staying in the Bahamas. She like started working at uh, this dive facility nearby and she's been like, a, she went to dive master, dive instructor, and she's traveled the world um, just being a dive instructor. And she's got some pretty amazing stories. Um, but yeah, so over there we had um, our expedition leader, we had uh, Charles, our scientist, um, her full name is Charlotte. Um, but so everybody there kind of came from, I would say a different background. Some people were gonna go to school, going to go to school to do marine biology. Some were just looking for a fun year off to go diving. Um, so everybody had a different story and really kind of went different directions with it. So it was a pretty cool opportunity that we had there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds incredible. How did you guys end up meeting then? Like you came from Chicago to Florida and then Justin, you were all over the map. How, like, how did you guys end up connecting? Um, so after I went to the Bahamas, I ended up moving to Florida, um, and that's where I attended university. So I attended Nova Southeastern University, and that's where I got my undergraduate degree. Um, after I graduated, I, I did end up staying in Florida. Um, my first job out of Florida was actually an internship at the Miami Seaquarium, nice. um, where I worked in the animal care unit. So I got to work with a lot of the rehab and rehabilitation animals. Very cool. um, it was, yeah, it was a, an amazing experience. Most of my days were working with the um, rescue birds and the manatees. And then on special days, I did get to go back and do some of the, um, some more in-depth work with turtles, sometimes with the vets, a lot of times with diet. Um, so that was a pretty cool experience. So I stayed to get that internship, get that experience and kind of sample what it was I was interested because in. again even after university I knew I loved you know this marine world I was interested in the conservation aspect but there's still so much that you can do and so much you can explore um, so I did like rehab and rehabilitation but I still had a craving for the education portion um, so again I continued to stay in Florida um, and I was actually a marine science teacher at a high school for two years hmm. uh, yeah and I mean, that seems like quite a big jump. You go from taking care of like squishy manatees to teaching high schoolers. <laughs> what? Oh, they're but, squishy too. What's that? <laughs> they're squishy too. They're the same. <laughs> they're squishy too. How, 
did you, what was your favorite part about teaching high school and what were some challenges that you kind of came up um, with? I loved the teaching part of it. I loved, um, one of my favorite parts about teaching, quite honestly, was I got to learn something new every single day. Mm-hmm. Because yes, I had this, you know, general curriculum of things I was supposed to teach, but I was constantly keeping updated on current stories, um, bringing in different um, articles into the classroom. So I was always learning something new, trying to keep it as interesting as I could for my class. Um, and I absolutely loved the interactions with the kids, um, with my coworkers. I was very lucky to have an interactive department. Um, we had a lot of a lot of interesting conversations and discussions. Um, so again, it just continued that learning for me, which was really great. Um, what kind of led me away from the traditional education path, quite honestly, was a lot of the, the testing mm-hmm. um, and the grades. I feel like this is a, like a topic that I'm so passionate about or passionate about and I love so much and to be throwing you know, grades and tests into it, it takes away a lot of, a lot of the joy. Um, so I wanted to find an avenue to continue to teach maybe on a more broad scale and bring back in, you know, my love for the subject and really allow that to um, resonate with others. Yeah, so, so Jen and I kind of met at this uh, transition, when she was at this transition in, in her career, and I found my way down to Florida, also, I guess, in a way through education, um, doing outreach and communications for research in the Everglades. And I met her through a coworker of mine, and we just struck up conversation, got talking almost immediately about marine conservation and career <laughs> yeah. goals. And I just threw out, hey, we're going, uh, I have a couple friends, we're going diving tomorrow, would you like to join? And so immediately off the bat, you know, we hit it off off of our shared passion for <laughs> marine conservation. And so that's kind of really, that's what brought us together and that's sort of what we're hoping to build on. I love it. That's such a fun story. Hey, I just met you, let's go diving. We have a lot of some interest. <laughs> Literally like 12 hours later. <laughs> <laughs> it's one really excellent way to get to know somebody. I feel like, you know, diving, there's like a little bit of pressure, especially if it isn't like perfect conditions, right? So you can kind of see what somebody's made of. It's a good tactic. to earn trust off the bat. Yeah, right? <laughs> That's amazing. So before we kind of get into your education now, because this is definitely a topic I want to definitely dive into quite a bit, I want to circle back, Justin, what, what were you studying in New Zealand? That's a great question. Um, I, so <laughs> a couple different things. I, I took a course. It was a semester abroad, so I took a course on marine invertebrates. Um, which actually the field component of that was really the most exciting part for me in in that study abroad program. Aside from New Zealand just being a gorgeous country and opportunities to travel and backpack, it's, you know, I love it. Absolutely. I've heard nothing but amazing things about the country. Yes, it's it's truly one of the most beautiful countries in the world. And while I was studying, um, I was able to go out on the Polaris, which is a research vessel that they actually usually take like um, graduate students out on or um, other researchers and it's a really impressive vessel they have all this high-tech equipment and we were collecting 
um, benthic and pelagic samples, looking at some of the microscopic invertebrates in the water column, and also had um, an ROV, which mm. is a remote-operated vehicle, for those of you who don't know. Um, and basically, you could just look around on the, the deep sea floor with this video camera that's remote controlled. And um, after the class, when we came back from the boat, we literally just sat and reviewed this video footage on our TVs or our computer screens and identified as many of the invertebrates as we could. And so that was really, really cool to see that scale of um, research in a marine, um, a marine biology context. It's always so fun to get out in the field, but if, especially when you're in a totally different environment, like, you know, you're across the world from any environment that you're used to. So it's really cool to see what's out there. Yeah, and actually those types of experiences have um, brought on a, a sort of, I guess, rule that I like to follow in education. And that is that you always look at something from an outsider's perspective as if everything is new. Mm -hmm. It helps it um, stay refreshing and it helps you explain it to people that have never seen it before. So that's really an important uh, education component that I try to carry with me in all of my work. Mm, that's a really good point. I do think that kind of makes or breaks an educator is if they can actually break down and teach what they know. If you, you can't explain it, you know, if you can't make it simple and explain it to even like, I don't know, a 10, 10 or 12 year old, then you may, it's kind of hard to understand for most people. <laughs> Absolutely. Love it. Um, so you guys both grew up insanely far from the ocean like Chicago's not near any I mean it's near Lake Michigan which is huge but not the ocean and not the same right <laughs> and then upstate New York is definitely not anywhere near the ocean and I love that you guys kind of came together in Florida which is surrounded by ocean and created an amazing organization how how did be the solution come up like how did this brainchild even evolve so it was actually through my, my transition out of teaching. Um, so again, I was kind of craving um, and maybe educating on a wider span um, and just kind of wanted to see what other opportunities were out there in the marine world. So I went to a, um, a teaching conference for specifically for Florida marine science educators. Mm. And I ended up, um, you know, talking to a couple of other contacts and a couple of other people there, and I got in contact uh, with Dr. Derek Burkholder. Um, and so I ended up sending a resume over to him, and he gave me a few different opportunities um, to get a little bit more hands-on in the field to, you know, kind of test out my interest to see, to see, you know, to see what I wanted to do and how I wanted to move forward in a career. Um, and so he has a couple of different trips. So he's, he's amazing. Um, he is a research scientist for the Save Our Seas Foundation and the Guy Harvey Research Institute. Mm. Um, he's also the director of the Marine Environmental Education Center in Hollywood and the director of the Broward County Sea Turtle Conservation Program. Um, he's a very busy man. Yeah, busy, busy dude. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, I don't think he's, I'm pretty sure he doesn't sleep. I'm, <laughs> I'm convinced. Um, but he's an awesome guy and so he gave me the opportunity to um, go out and join his team on a night of turtle tagging mm. um, so i got to experience that and then 
the other big thing that I got to do was volunteer as a crew member on his um, shark tagging trips. So what he does is he actually takes out uh, like school, typically school groups. Um, he's brought out college kids, homeschool kids. He's done trips for the public. Um, he does middle and high school trips as well, but he brings out a group of students um, or, or just people and they join him, you know, for a day of research. Um, so we literally go out and we tag sharks. Um, so that was, and this, yeah. is this in Florida as well? Yeah, this is in Florida. So they, it, it runs through, um, Nova Th Southeastern university and I believe the Guy Harvey research Institute. Um, so any, so what type of sharks were you tagging? <laughs> so actually I'm, I am incredibly fortunate. Um, there are days that you could go out, you could get zero sharks. You never know what's in the water. You never, you know, you just don't know what you're going to get. Um, on my very first day out there, the first shark we ended up getting was a tiger shark. And but female tiger shark, she was, I mean, beautiful. The eyes of a tiger shark are, they're mesmerizing. I was, I was hooked. <laughs> I've always had a love for sharks, but I mean, from that moment, like having that up close experience was just like, uh, you can't put words to it. It was incredible. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Um, we ended up getting a couple of sandbars that day. Um, we got a great hammerhead. Um, we've gotten, let me think, Atlantic sharp nose. We've gotten a black tip. Um, we, we get nurse sharks. We got a dusky shark, bull shark. Um, honestly, we, we get quite a lot of sharks. Um, pretty much anything you can think of in this area um, is, is a possibility for us to get. Very cool. Um, so I was really fortunate with that, but it was actually through those trips and you know, doing that that I, I kind of came up with the idea of a video series. So I have a lot of, you know, I have a lot of friends who I graduated with that don't actually work in the marine field. Um, like I have some friends that went a completely different route. Um, some of that I think is just interest and some of that I think is availability of what options are out there. Mm -hmm. And as I left teaching and became more actively involved in the community, community going out on these trips, um, learning about other groups and programs, um, that's when I kind of realized how much is out there. And I think that there is a lack of awareness on all of the different types of work and types of opportunities. Um, so I, I just, I just had this idea. I was like, man, people need to know about this stuff. Like how, how is it that I graduated with a marine biology degree and I taught marine science and I had no idea that this was out there. I had no clue. Was there a specific like job or position that like made you think that or like a couple positions that you were like, this is a thing people definitely need to know about this thing. Well, it was, it was those shark trips. It was just, I, I didn't know this existed. Um, even the Broward County Sea Turtle Conservation Program, um, they have, they have staff members, they have night staff that go out and do the turtle tagging. They have morning staff that during season, they literally go like up and down on the beaches. They um, like to see, uh, if there are any nests, they they mark off all the nests every single morning. They see if there's a hatch out, if any sea turtles didn't make it. So, um, so it was through those couple of programs, um, some other like nonprofits and groups that I learned about that 
it just kind of started opening doors and questions of how am I just learning about this? Um, so that's kind of where I got the idea of, well, I, I can create a video series and show these people what it's, you know, and the whole idea was giving people an inside look to what opportunities are out there, but then also the reality of what it is to work in that environment. I think a lot of people want to go into a career of marine biology and the idea is they're interested in the ocean. They don't necessarily know what about the ocean because there are so many different parts of it. So the idea is to show them these are the opportunities that are out there and the types of jobs that need people. Um, so that's where this idea kind of started. So it actually started as a video series and then transformed into this higher calling of an entire organization. Um, and obviously I was an educator. I'm not a filmmaker. I'm not, um, I'm not really even all that tech savvy. <laughs> so that's kind of where um, my uh, partnership with Justin really, really kind of started. He had a set of skills that, that I desperately needed. So did you pitch it, Justin, where you pitched over the dive, like, hey, okay, so we dove together. I have this idea. Will you be my cameraman? Is that how that went? So actually, we met a couple months um, before, before the idea sparked. Okay. Um, we went diving, stayed in contact, and it was kind of from there that I had this idea, and it was the perfect partnership, perfect collaboration. What are some of the things that you guys have filmed so far? So we have, um, so far we have worked with a couple different groups. Um, the Frost Museum's Museum Volunteers for the Environment Program. It's a mouthful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Did I say that right? Yep. They call it MOVE for short, M-U-V-E, Museum Volunteers for the Environment. That was sort of our first uh, video assignment, and we went out with them and wanted to show people their on-the-grounds work with everyday citizens to restore and plant coastal habitats. So that was one of our first video projects. Um, the, the next one we really just recently worked on was we went out with the American Shark Conservancy on a dive to film their um, shark research where they're using lasers to measure the sharks and collect data, which is pretty cool. Sharks so, and lasers. So cool. Wow. That's um, really incredible. Yeah. It's really new research. Like I, I feel like usually you see like calipers or big, big me tape measures, right? Yeah, well, because th so they do this in the water. Um, so literally like they, you know, Hannah would be able to describe it better than I will, so. Um, but they've got this, this laser and it has a locked distance already. Mm -hmm. um, so, so it's calibrated. Have, yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. So that way they, they need to, um, they need to be a certain distance away from the shark. They need to have one laser on the tail, one laser right on the snout. It needs to not be bending in any certain direction. <laughs> oh, that, that sounds difficult. <laughs> um, yeah. So, which we learned on the dive, like it, it was much harder than it looked. Um, but that it was kind of makes me think of road crazy. surveys. You know, the road survey crews that are out and they have like the different lasers and they kind of beam each other from, I don't know, a million yards away. That makes yeah. me think of that. On a, on a moving shark, though, that's on a moving just shark. another level. <laughs> another challenge, yeah. A moving, eating shark. <laughs> so those are, um, those are two of the groups that we filmed so far. And we're also hoping to work with, uh, you know, something we've learned in uh, working on this video series and something that I know having played field biologist is that 
<laughs> you're at the mercy of the conditions and dive conditions aren't always the beautiful, perfect, crystal clear, flat waters that you see on television. Mm-hmm. And actually on our dive with the sharks, we had five foot rolling waves and the whole crew was seasick, but we persevered and we got the work done. We filmed anyway. It's, you know, it's just the nature of being out in the elements and working in the ocean. And that's kind of one of the things that we want to show with this video series. Like, what's it really like to be a marine biologist in the field? Mm -hmm. Um, So one of the things we've learned is that we've been at the mercy of rescheduling quite a few dives. Um, We're hoping to, in the coming months, work with uh, a group called Inwater Research on their sea turtle tagging. And uh, they're collecting morphometric data on sea turtles as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also hoping to work with the coral group and show that story. So kind of give a sampling of the different types of research, but um, give that real in the field experience. Awesome. That's really great. I, you know, that's one of the reasons why I started the podcast is kind of pull back the curtain of like what, what it really is and what it really takes and what, you know, a day in the field could look like. And I like that you guys are actually putting a visual behind it and you're sharing some of the behind the scenes stuff with us now. Like it's not all, you know, sunshiny days and clear water. We were in five foot rollers and vomiting, but we got it done. (laughs) Oh yeah. I was pretty sick that day. Oh, I've been there. It is rough. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly it. But you know, with that, one of the things as Jess was mentioning that really is a big part of our mission is we've, we've watched friends and colleagues kind of, get discouraged and leave the career path. And so something else that we really try to push for and strive for with Be The Solution, it's in the name. We want people to feel empowered. We want to restore a sense of hope and inspiration. Mm-hmm. And I can't watch another friend or family member just give up hope entirely. And we, they need to see those powerful, encouraging stories to be reminded that there is something out there worth fighting for. Yes. And, and you... And when you say give up, you know, you're not talking about a career in marine biology or marine science. You're talking about giving up hope for our planet, basically, our oceans. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, a little bit of both. Okay. Yeah, no, you're, you're 100% correct. There is definitely, you know, a whole world, both above and below the water, that is worth fighting for. And I love that you guys are bringing your cameras down there and showing us all that what is there? So your video series is just part of what Be The Solution is all about, correct? You guys just opened up a shop where you can do all sorts of ocean-friendly shopping. So you guys want to chat a little bit about that? Yeah, so the the video series is just, you know, what got us started. And as we sort of grew and um, Jess has really been sort of this inspiration for me in the past year and changing my lifestyle. Like, I never (laughs) thought about the scale of how our everyday lives have an impact on the ocean. And she's really been sort of that force that reminds me, um, you know, skip the plastic straw. Mm-hmm. Even though you're in a rush, don't grab for that plastic utensil. It's the things that are kind of like reflex to us that we're trying to encourage others to rethink. And so Jess has done tons of research and has lined up some of the best products that we know of that we hope are going to be simple solutions for everyday people in their everyday routine. It can become complicated and it's, it's challenging to find alternatives when you really do start to think about these things. And so we want to make that really simple, have a one-stop shop, keep 
you know, bring this all into one place where people can find these solutions and try them out and maybe they're better than the alternative single use plastics. Mm -hmm. That's a really, it's a really great point. And it's really important. You know, people think, oh, it's just one, I'm just one person, but there are a lot of people on this planet. And when you multiply it by that many people, it creates an issue. I think I read an article today about there's like 10 tons of plastic or something ridiculous going in the ocean every four seconds. I saw recently that a three-week-old sea turtle hatchling had 104 pieces of tiny plastic in its stomach. You yeah. know, it's it's truly an issue. So I love that you guys are, you know, actively trying to do something about it and bringing light to the situation and offering products that people can use as replacements because it's really, it's really not hard to reuse things. Um, and thank you for doing all that research. And, you know, as a tip for listeners, with the holiday season, I've given gifts of like reusable water bottles and all that fun stuff. So little idea for everybody listening. <laughs> so one other thing that we are trying to do um, with the shop is our goal is to make it really easy. Um, because I, I definitely know that switching to zero waste and trying to minimize your impact can be really overwhelming and really difficult because there are so many parts to it. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's a really big goal of ours is, is to make it really easy. Um, so as we continue to grow and develop, we're hoping to become this kind of one-stop shop of come here, um, learn, take action, and also like, you, you, you can literally come and you can find all of the solutions, maybe not all of them, but you can come and you can find solutions to everyday problems. Um, so we wanna make it really easy. And also on the note of Christmas, um, so I am currently working on a, I don't want to call it an advent calendar, mm -hmm. uh, but it's kind of like an advent calendar. So every single day up on our Instagram, um, we're going to be, we're going to have a, a different um, environmentally friendly tip on how to literally be more eco-friendly this Christmas. So every single day, instead of, you know, an advent calendar, it'll be a new eco tip for specifically for Christmas, um, which I'm very excited about. I love it. Yeah, the holidays can be wonderful and not so wonderful all in the same time. So it's great that you kind of bring some, shining some light on that. So Justin, how did you get into photography in the first place? Um, that's a great question. So it was actually, I hate to refer back to New Zealand again, but that's really, <laughs> you know, that's the, the first place where about. I... New Zealand is really the first place where I picked up a camera and started kind of exploring just going out into nature and seeing what I can capture. I was handed down my camera um, from my mom who is also into photography and she's really the one that sort of ignited that passion in the first place. I always loved the idea of it. Uh, but once I had my hands on a camera for the first time, I was hooked. I was amazed that you can go out into nature and have this incredible indescribable experience but then bring that back and show it to others and that's the thing that i enjoy most about photography it's telling a story about what you experience and showing that to others and so it really got started with my experiences backpacking and, and hiking in nature i would have loved to have an underwater camera from the first time i jumped in the ocean just to know what i was seeing at that point in time um, and really, I just recently um, got into underwater photography and 
it's opened up this whole new world. It's a whole new learning curve. Um, lots of different conditions and things going on. And I really enjoy the challenge of it. That's, that's what keeps me going. It's a challenge to um, not only capture the beauty, but as a conservation biologist, capture the truth of what's going on. Have you seen the, the research I just, I just saw it this week? Uh, there was a researcher, an oceanographer, and uh, her name is escaping me right now, but she was diving in Indonesia, I believe, and her research was conducted in Indonesia, and she figured out how to essentially eliminate water in underwater photography, so she gets rid of all the blue-green hue that happens in most underwater photography, and she does it by like a color chart and an algorithm, and it's fascinating. Wow, that's very cool. Yeah, I'll have to look into that. Yeah. I, yeah, I was like, oh, wow, that's another level. Can't wait, for that, can't wait for that to be available to everybody. I'm sure you as a photographer are like, that's very fascinating. I need to. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. <laughs> I love how that, you know, you evolved from playing in New Zealand, just starting photography to actually being the man behind the camera, behind a whole organization. So that's pretty special. Jess, do you ever pick up the camera? Once or twice, but it doesn't usually, <laughs> my pictures don't always come out all that, all that well. I've been kind of shoving a GoPro her away every time <laughs> we jump in the water. I'm getting better over time, but stability is not my, my forte. Mm -hmm. <laughs> practice, practice makes perfect, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I've always loved it, like videography, though. Like in high school, that was my first choice of elective. So it's something that I've always really enjoyed. Um, but actually being the one holding the camera is is a little bit more difficult. Um, I like the I like the idea of putting together a story, directing, um, but yeah, that's, it is not my skill, but I'm hoping to improve <laughs> over time. So do you do most of the editing for the videos? It's a little bit of both of us, um, you know, just kind of taking on this beast of doing <laughs> research and, and providing alternative solutions to single-use plastics for this online store has been really her main focus lately. So I've kind of been um, focusing on a lot of the video editing and um, capturing the video as well. Very cool. And I'll put a link to the show, or excuse me, I'll put a link to the shop in the show notes as well. So listeners can go check it out and do some shopping. <laughs> Sounds great. So what are some challenges that y'all have faced with Be The Solution? I know, I mean, originally, I don't know how original it was, but you guys had a Kickstarter campaign that I was super stoked about, and then it didn't work out the way you planned. So what other, what is that challenge that you faced with that, and how have you overcome it? Um, yeah, so I think one of the biggest challenges for, for both of us is that we still both work full time and this yeah. is a passion project for us. That's really been the biggest thing is finding the time and energy to pour into um, something that we deeply care about. And I think it's something that's common in the conservation community that, you know, if you're really in it with your heart and passion, you're fully in it, you wear many hats and you're involved in a lot of different things at any given time. So that's been a really big challenge for us. Um, and then just growing and learning, uh, you know, I didn't know about half of these alternative <laughs> products that Jess has found for our store. And, and that's really cool to, you know, learn as you go and adapt. Um, I also feel like I'm, I'm really fortunate. Um, so in terms of challenges, I went from being an educator to 
creating films and starting um, an organization. And I, I really had no prior knowledge. Um, I feel like uh, this is something that I wanted to do. There wasn't, there wasn't a job that existed um, that kind of defined all of the things of what I wanted to do. So I, I just made one. Um, In a true entrepreneurial spirit. yeah with no knowledge or no background I I just went forward and and we did it um so one of the biggest challenges has has really been not having that background and not having that experience um but again we're really fortunate we've had a lot of people supporting us um a lot of people are more than willing to volunteer time or um information or guide us in areas that we're not experts. Um, so I, this has been an incredible year of, uh, you know, even personal, personal and professional growth for me. And I've, I've learned a lot in this past year. So I feel like something that, you know, was originally a challenge is, um, I I guess just a way of me feeling now very privileged and fortunate. Yeah, and that's one of the greatest things about, um, you know, the community that we found ourselves in. It's that we, as Be The Solution, hope to expand that community to others and help them become involved. And something I wanted to mention is that getting involved isn't just waiting around for someone to organize an event or a petition. It's taking action on your own and doing things every single day that add up to make a difference. And that's one of the things that we really do push for. Absolutely. Be the change. Be the solution. I love it. Be the solution. (laughs) So what are some of the products that you guys have in your shop? And Justin, you mentioned there were some that you just had no idea that was a thing. So (laughs) maybe maybe I think a lot of people, you know what? Maybe people don't know about you should reuse your, buy a reusable water bottle. But what, what were some of the things that you surprised, that surprised you, Justin? Um, man, well, I think I'm more just surprised at like the volume of things that already exist. Um, and so like one example would be, um, bamboo utensils that you can take with you on the go. Mm -hmm. It seems like such a simple thing, but you know, for most people, I think plastic straws are a simple thing that really in the last couple years they've started to um, change and think about more. And that's become almost like a poster child for this idea of zero waste and kicking plastic and saying no to single use. Um, But things like bamboo utensils that you can take with you in your pocket on the go or strap onto your backpack. Um, Jess found these really cool cotton mesh bags that can hold like up to 50 pounds of produce, which is like (laughs) the perfect thing to take with you when you forgot your reusable bag or you don't have anything to carry your produce if you're at the farmer's market and yes. it just folds up and sticks in your pocket. So, you know, there's some really cool stuff out there and Jess can probably speak more to all of that. Yeah. yeah. So what are some of the things that you found Jess that excited you the most? Uh, well, there's definitely some things that we're still looking into and working on. Um, but some of the things that we do have right now. Um, so I found a lot of, uh, I guess really different types of bags. So, on our website, a lot of our um, products on there, they all kind of start off with um, like a, a statistic um, of kind of what they're replacing. So one of the most interesting items I found was, um, it's actually like a soap bag. So in going zero waste, 
uh, we're trying to cut out literally as much plastic as humanly possible in our daily routine. Um, our hygiene is really hard. Oh, it's, it's super hard. Um, I found a way to find zero waste toothpaste, floss, um, toothbrushes. I actually make my own deodorant. Um, and then for showering, I use a shampoo bar. Mm-hmm. So again, no packaging and I use bar soap. So, but with the bar soap, the, the biggest issue that I found is that once it gets down to this, like a tiny little, little nubbin, like it's really hard to wash yourself with. Yeah. What are you so doing with that? <laughs> exactly. So sometimes you stick it onto the other piece of soap and they mesh together. Um, but what you can do with the soap bag is literally you just take all the little tiny pieces of soap, put them all in the bag, and then you can use that. Um, there's one side of it that's really soft, like a washcloth. And then the other side is this mesh material. So it's actually a good alternative to microbeads, um, which are hugely abundant, um, like in the, like literally in the ocean. Um, they're so small that in like water treatment facilities, it's hard to filter them out because they're so small. Um, Did microbeads get banned in the U.S.? They were banned, I think, in what year? It was a couple years ago. It didn't officially go through for um, like for for a little while. Um, Okay. So one way to exfoliate without the microbeads is is with this mesh bag because the one side is like a cotton mesh. You can put all your soaps in there and then it literally acts as an exfoliator. So there's no plastic, no microbeads necessary for it, um, which was a, a really cool product that I really would never have thought of. And that's probably one of my favorite things that we have. Love it. Something I want to highlight that the microbeads kind of brought up. Yeah. Uh, plastic is made from oil and I don't think a lot of people understand that. So when you're taking these tiny little plasticky beads and scrubbing your face with them, you're really scrubbing your face with oil and chem and they're made from chemical compounds and chemistry. They like to absorb and adsorb all sorts of different stuff. So microbeads are gross. If you still have products that have (laughs) microbeads, don't use them. (laughs) It's tricky though, because I mean, they're, they're still in the water. Like, um, I have like a, a faucet in my bathroom and you can unscrew the, like unscrew a little piece of the faucet and there's a little filter. And when we first moved into, um, this new place, there were literally small pieces of plastic on the filter mm. that weren't, yeah, that weren't getting filtered out of the treatment, treatment facility. Um, so whether they're in or not in your so products anymore, like every piece of plastic that was ever made still exists right now somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it is hard to kick. It is time to kick it. Um, and we are looking for other, those alternatives and different creative ways to upcycle or get rid of it and just reduce the amount of overall waste that, <laughs> that we managed to make. Yeah. And, and something else I wanted to highlight Um, and this is kind of shifting off the plastic topic, which Mm -hmm. is a huge issue, but I love that you guys are taking action on something you're so passionate about and you are still working full-time. So you are literally being the solution. You're walking the walk and in doing this project that creates awareness and that helps promote, you know, marine conservation in your own way. And you still have full-time jobs. So it's not like you're waiting for a career shift or somebody to come up to you and be like, Hey, I have this really amazing job. You get to talk about the ocean all the time. Do you want it? 
And sometimes that's what it takes is to be a little bit of an entrepreneur and just do it. So what, what do you guys do full time? Um, so I work, um, I would say it is full to part time. Um, so from teaching, I went into substitute teaching and then I actually um, started working in the restaurant industry. Um, so it gives me a little bit more of a uh, flexible schedule. Absolutely. So that way when I, I still have the opportunity to um, go and give a school talk. So now I'm not working Monday through Friday. If I have an event come, come, you know, that comes up, um, I can have somebody take over uh, that shift that I might be working. So it's given me um, a really flexible schedule. So I, I have the ability to handle both. Um, so I'm pretty fortunate in, in that. And I work um, at the University of Florida. So I actually get to help connect people with their, uh, their local ecosystems in the Everglades. And I do outreach and communications for a wildlife research lab, um, which is pretty cool because being able to be in the research community and, and get to play field biologist is one of the things that um, as a visual storyteller and as a conservationist in general has helped me really show that to people that don't know what that's like and have never experienced that before. So one of my, I have two favorite questions that I like to ask everybody and I haven't asked them yet. So <laughs> what, what is your favorite sea creature and why? Oh man. I need a second to think about that. Oh I, my gosh. That start. is such a hard question. <laughs> oh wow. I can start. Mine's pretty, pretty basic for most people, but I've always been fascinated by the Eagle Ray. And I just think that they're such a charismatic and beautiful, graceful creature. I don't know why. I think it's probably that uh, human instinct to want to experience what it's like to fly, but they just look so graceful underwater. They are absolutely stunning. I've had the privilege of swimming with quite a few of them. They and so cool. They're very magical. They really are. I think you're the first person to say Eagle Ray. That's fun. Wow. Okay, cool. <laughs> I definitely won't be the first person. But okay, I have... I have two and I'm, I'm going to say both because I just can't choose. Okay. So uh, my long-term favorite, of course, charismatic mega megafauna um, is the mago shark. It okay. is, oh my gosh, just such an amazing creature. It may not be the largest, but it is the fastest. And I think that's something that's always been so interesting to me. I'm, I'm pretty short. I'm only five two, um, but my, you know, like in sports growing up, that was my one thing was I had speed. Um, so I think that I really- Your inner Mako shark. Yeah, I feel like the Mako shark really is kind of like my spirit animal. Mm -hmm. Not the biggest, but it's small, it's fast, it's feisty, it's fierce. And I feel like those are a lot of, uh, a lot of very similar qualities to myself. Um, <laughs> and then I would say the second one that I, ugh, it's just so hard to choose, but I would say a nudibranch. Mm -hmm. I think they're so cool. <laughs> they are. And there's so many different kinds. I really love that you gave a vertebrate and an invertebrate. That's really fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to choose just one. So yeah, I guess favorite vertebrate and invertebrate marine sea creature. Um, yeah, teaching about nudibranchs uh, as a marine science teacher was probably one of my most favorite parts. Um, because like because they'll eat like other organisms that have nematocysts and they literally... Um, can sting because they've consumed nematocysts. I think that's so cool. Like when I was teaching, I literally made the comparison to Kirby um, from Super Smash Brothers. 
And that was probably one of my most favorite references. That's awesome. So you're gonna have to explain what Kirby is. Kirby? Kirby um, in Super Smash Bros. I guess Kirby has a, a few games of his own, but it's literally like this pink circular creature. And like when you use it in uh, Super Smash Bros., which is a fighting game, one of the um, moves that Kirby has is it literally like literally sucks in its like it sucks in its opponents and takes one of their moves. It's amazing. It just absorbs it and dishes it right back, and that's the power of the new to brink. Exactly. <laughs> so cool. And we should say pneumatocysts are singing cells. So like jellyfish have pneumatocysts, so some of them anemones do as well. <laughs> For clarification. For clarification. So that's how they do it. They eat them up, eat those singing cells and dish it right back. All right, so what is your favorite field story or stories to tell? And this could be either in the classroom, like a cool thing that happened in the classroom, or actually out in the field, and it could be the best day you ever had, like everything went right, you saw amazing animals, or there were five-foot seas and everybody was hurling and still had to film. <laughs> that was a good one. That was a good one. <laughs> I mean, honestly, uh... I would say the most recent best field day that I've had. It's probably the same for me. <laughs> I, it's probably the same for Jess. Is going to be the experience of swimming with whale sharks. Mm. We were fortunate to have that opportunity this past year, um, going out with our friends Jim Abernethy um, mm. and his business partner Sean Heinrichs, who are two very, very, very passionate and well-known conservationists and photographers themselves. Um, just incredible people all around and it was cool to be um, with them for a week just in the ocean with these giant graceful creatures that you know they're in the same group of organisms that most people fear and so to have a connection with them that's very positive and very relaxed was uh, an amazing experience. Um, and also so on that same trip um, we spent four days out um, in the water, and the first three days was was swimming with whale sharks, which is an indescribable feeling. And then on the very very last day, we were incredibly fortunate, and we saw a large aggregation of uh, manta rays. Mm. So that was um, that was my first whale shark experience and manta ray experience, um, which was pretty incredible. It's it kind of feels like flying when you're swimming with a manta or next to a manta. Um, it's- They're you're another winged creature with them. Yeah, they're, they're elegant and graceful and charismatic. Uh, yeah, they're just gorgeous. But I'm gonna choose a different story than Justin. Okay. So my, <laughs> it's probably my favorite story to tell. Um, it was definitely not my favorite as it was happening. Um, it usually makes the best stories. Exactly. So it was, it actually goes back to the Bahamas. So I got my first two dive certifications while I was there, just my basic open water and my advanced open water. So this was actually the last certification dive to complete our advanced uh, open water cert. And it was uh, an identification survey. So we went out in pairs. So it was just, um, you know, four divers being certified with, um, with two dive masters. 
So it was me and um, my friend Ali and our scientist Charles. Um, so we were, you know, swimming around on the reef. We took a different route so we could go through and ID different um, inverts, verts. Um, and all of a sudden we, we looked up and it was, it was towards the end of our dive, but we looked up and it was completely dark. So a <laughs> little nervous with that. It, it was not anywhere near nighttime, so it was really dark. Um, so we, you know, we, we looked around, we didn't see um, the other two divers. Mm. And so we, we surfaced. We, so once we got to the surface, we didn't see our boat. Oh my God. Um, so that was, that was a little bit terrifying. So the next couple, couple of minutes, um, I wouldn't, like we weren't panicked. We were okay. You know, but internally it's like, okay, there's no more divers. There's no more boat. What the heck is going on? It's dark. Like it's about to, to storm on us. Like it came out that weather came out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Um, the boat ended up, the boat circled back around, picked us up. The current had, um, picked up and it was pulling the boat away. So it ended up, so like, They'd already picked up the other two divers. They circled back around. They got us. They knew where we were the whole time. Um, it mm. was just us <laughs> that were that were a little bit worried because um, we didn't know, obviously. So it was this big celebration of congratulations, you passed. You're a, you're officially an advanced open water diver, and you also survived the dive. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> that was a that was a good one. Yeah, that's it's a <laughs> heck of a dive story. That's <laughs> I feel like it's in the back of everybody's mind just a little bit like I don't want to be lost at sea <laughs> yeah it's like so it's a good reminder to always have your safety sausage with you when you are diving absolutely and a safety sausage is a giant orange inflatable sausage that can extend up into the air and make you visible to boats or better visible to boats to say please help <laughs> help I am here picking up that's a really great story <laughs> but it's a good story yeah <laughs> So as we wrap up here, y'all, we chatted earlier about an ask for the audience. It's how I like to end each episode to tell everybody to go forth and do something for the ocean or for their careers. And you guys have something for the audience. What is it? Yeah, so I'll take that one on. Um, for everyone listening, I just want to say that conservation may seem at times complicated or overwhelming in this, this massive battle that you just can't reach for, but really it takes every single one of us to make a difference and we all have the power to make a difference. So our ask is that quite simply, just in one day, rethink how everything that you do might have an impact on the ocean. As you reach for that shampoo bottle in the shower, as you get up in the morning, think to yourself, is there a better alternative? Or as you're on your way into work and you stop to grab a, t a coffee to go or um, a tea to go, Think to yourself, is there a better alternative than a reusable cup? Am I doing this the best way that I could be? So that's really our ask is just rethink the way that every action every day could potentially impact the environment. It's a great ask. I appreciate it. Well, thank you guys so much for being on the show. It was awesome chatting with you. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Hey, y'all. As we chatted about in today's episode, plastic is a plague in our oceans. There are some estimates that show plastic will outnumber fish in our oceans by the year 2050. 
Some scientists think that this number is conservative and that plastic will outnumber fish by the year 2025. Whatever the case may be, you can be the solution. Whether you're bringing reusable bags, bottles, and utensils, hosting a cleanup, or simply leading by example and educating others, there are many things that we can all do to turn the tide. If you have questions or are unsure of where to start, please email me at hello at marinebio.life. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's show. I'd love to hear any insight you've gleaned. Leave a comment in the show notes or send me an email over at marinebio.life. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a review and of course, share with your friends. If you want more resources for ocean news, including conservation topics and careers, plus personal insight for me that I just don't share anywhere else, join me at marinebio.life and sign up for email updates. Keep after your dreams and making waves in your community. One person can make a difference. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time on the So You Want to Be a Marine Biologist podcast.